I want to read uh, something to uh, get us started. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. That was proclaimed to the American people by President Abraham Lincoln in 1863. And in it, he speaks of Pride. Not pride in our nation per se, but a very sinful and dangerous pride where people are too preoccupied and consumed with themselves and turn away from the God who made them. This morning, as we continue in the book of Daniel, we are going to see this same kind of pride in King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you recall, from last week, Nebuchadnezzar set up a nine-story golden image in the desert, and he summoned the who's who of his empire to attend a dedication service. There were thousands of people there. And when the band played, it was commanded that everyone in attendance was to bow down and worship the image. You recall that. On cue, 
the band played. And everyone bowed down to the image just like they were told to do. Everyone but three young Jewish men. Friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They remained standing. And sure enough, they stood out. When it was reported to the king, the king confronted them and gave them a second chance to comply. But these three refused, and they were immediately tossed into the fiery smelting furnace that was on site. That should have been the end of the story, but the story just got interesting. In the furnace, these three suffered no harm. It was just another day in the park. And they were not alone. A fourth had joined them in the fire who represented the presence of God. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't believe his eyes. He called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out before the thousands who were in attendance. After an inspection of the three, the king declared to all that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the Most High God. And anyone who spoke anything offensive about their God would have their limbs torn off their bodies. He's got a thing with that. Well, some 30 years, 30 years come and go since the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is approaching 70. And Daniel is probably in his mid-fifties. And that brings us to this next chapter. The only chapter in the Bible written by a pagan king. So if you have your Bible... Turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and we will begin with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. 
How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom, His kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. This is the opening of an official document. A decree. A decree given by Nebuchadnezzar to the people of his empire that covers the known world. And in his decree, a decree that takes up the entire chapter, the king gives his personal testimony. A personal testimony of how the Most High God has dwelt with him. Now think about that for a moment. This entire chapter comes from a pagan king. It's divinely placed in the Bible. It's written to all nations and to all peoples of the earth. It's originally written in Aramaic, the common language of the Gentiles. And it's written because the king wants the whole world to know what God has done for him. It appears that Nebuchadnezzar has come to know and trust the one true God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. It sounds like the king is a changed man. And in many respects he is. So what happened? Well, he tells us, beginning with verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Written in first person, I, Nebuchadnezzar. He tells us that he was content and prosperous. 
His enemies had been subdued, and all appeared calm. He was successful in everything he touched. Living in total comfort. And lying in his bed one evening, he had another dream. A dream that terrified him. So the king summons all of his wise men. He seeks answers from the exact same people who don't have answers. And he tells them the dream to get their interpretation of it. But just like last time, these wise men were completely useless. But fortunately for the king, an answer is on the way. Beginning with verse 8, the king tells us, but finally... Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet, leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. 
Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation. Inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel comes before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king addresses Daniel by both his Hebrew and his Babylonian names. The king identifies Daniel as the chief of the magicians, or we might say he is the head magi. You've heard that word before, magi. He's the head magi. And he's been in that position for many years. And the king says he knows the spirit of the holy gods dwells in Daniel. And remember, this is a personal testimony from a pagan king. Okay? Keep that in context. This is a personal testimony from a pagan king. And at that point in his life, the king still believed in many gods. So Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel his dream. And he begins by saying he saw a tree, a tree that was mighty and strong. This tree touched the heavens and spread over all the earth. It was a beautiful tree, and it provided food and shelter to everyone to include the beasts and the birds. But into his dream, there comes a watcher. In Aramaic, a heavenly being. An angel. With a message. Who shouts, chop down the tree and cut off its branches and strip them bare. The angel says, allow the animals and the birds to flee and let the stump remain in the ground bound with iron and bronze. Then the angel begins to talk as if he is talking about a person. And he says, let his mind, let his mind be changed from that of a man to that of a beast until seven times pass by. 
Lastly, the angel proclaims this is a verdict from heaven so that the living may know that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and He gives these kingdoms to anyone He desires, even to the lowliest of people. That's something we need to remember today. No matter who is running a nation, it is God who ultimately rules the kingdoms of men. The powers to be on this earth are ordained by our sovereign God in heaven. Ordained for His purposes and His plans. It is the work of God. We cannot forget that. Especially in these days and times. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar finishes telling his dream. And all eyes are now on Daniel. And beginning with verse 19, this is what we are told. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Let me just stop there for a second. It appears that over the years, Daniel has grown fond of Nebuchadnezzar. And after hearing this dream, Daniel sits quiet for a while. Stunned and alarmed at what he just heard. He just sits there saying nothing. But the king wants an answer. Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which there was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king. For you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, 
and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever He wishes. And in that... It was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Okay. In summary, Daniel says, O king, I wish this dream was about your enemies. But it's not. It's about you. You are that tree. You are mighty and strong and your vast empire extends over all the earth. But a declaration has come down from heaven against you because you have taken credit for it all. You will be chopped down disgraced, but a stump will remain. It's a promise that one day you will reign again. Then Daniel explains to the king that he will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. O king, you will lose your mind. He's saying, O king, you will lose your mind and think like an animal and live like one. Now, I will talk about what is being described here in a few moments, okay? But suffice to say, Daniel is not claiming that Nebuchadnezzar will be physically turned into an animal. That's not what he is claiming. Instead, the king will think he is an animal and in turn act like one. And this will go on for seven years until the king finally acknowledges that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. So Daniel has revealed some hard truth 
to Nebuchadnezzar. His pride has serious consequences. And in closing, Daniel tells the most powerful man on the earth to repent. Repent right now. Humble yourself. And it could be that you miss this terrible humiliation that is to come. Well, the king admits he does not repent. And that brings us to verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared. Sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. <clears throat> a year, a year goes by after the dream. After Daniel's interpretation. And nothing had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Apparently, Daniel was wrong. This must have been a false alarm. But one day, the king was up on the roof, the flat roof of his palace, gazing over the city of Babylon. A city that was 14 miles square. The walls around it were 56 miles long, 320 feet high, 80 feet wide, wide enough for four chariots to race across the top. The mighty Euphrates River ran through the middle of the city to feed the many gardens and orchards within its walls. 
From the roof, Nebuchadnezzar could see the hanging gardens of Babylon, which he built for his wife. One of the seven wonders of the world. And from a distance, he could also see the nine-story golden image glimmering in the sun. It was all a sight to see. And Nebuchadnezzar said to himself, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And as he spoke those prideful words, a voice from heaven was heard, and just like that, a patient God kept his promise. And it happened just as Daniel had said. So let's talk about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And it might surprise you that what occurred is an actual mental disorder called Boanthorpe. Mm -hmm. B-O-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. And trust me, I had to look it up. Boanthorpe, bow for bovine, and anthorpe would be for man or mankind or humanity, is a rare psychological disorder in which a person believes they are a cow or an ox, a bovine. In this condition, the person thinks and acts just like a cow or an ox. They walk on the ground using their arms and legs and they develop a craving for the same plants a cow or an ox might graze upon. In 1946, Dr. Raymond Harrison of England recorded his experiences with an actual case of Boenthorpe. He observed that the patient spent the entire day roaming the asylum grounds from dusk till dawn, eating grass and drinking out of puddles of water like an animal. He added that the patient's only physical abnormality was the lengthening and the matting of his hair and a thickened condition of his nails. For his sinful pride, the pride he admits to, this was the punishment for Nebuchadnezzar. It would last for seven years. And although we are not told 
I am going to assume, okay, I'm going to assume this. I'm going to assume that Daniel, in his capacity as a ruler in Babylon, the head magi, I'm going to assume that he intervened and related to those people who needed to know that the king would be returning. And so, if they liked their limbs to remain on their bodies, they should not do anything stupid. I'm going to make that assumption. Seven years go by. And that brings us to verse 34 where we are told by the king. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all His works are true, and His ways are just, and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. We are told the king raised his eyes toward heaven. He looked up in humility and submission and everything for him changed. His sinful pride changed to sincere praise for the one true sovereign God in heaven. And if you notice in verse 36... Nebuchadnezzar says that his kingdom was restored and he was reestablished, meaning the king finally recognized the Most High God did it for him. That is the last we hear about Nebuchadnezzar. That's it. But his lesson continues. 
pride is a very serious matter to God. And I'm going to read to you again from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. Just to show you how serious it is. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him. Abomination is not a good word. Haunty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Now if you noticed, on the top of the hate list are haunty eyes. And just for clarification, that does not mean that God hates eyeshadow or mascara. It's not what he's saying. Okay, it's not it. Haunty eyes is a figure of speech which describes a prideful, arrogant person who considered them who considers themselves above others and ultimately above God. Haunty eyes describes a person who looks down on others and ironically looks up to heaven and in essence says, I don't need you, God. I I don't need you, God. No wonder God hates it. Now I doubt there is anyone here who would say They don't need God in their lives. But, but, actions speak louder than words. And sometimes our actions and our attitudes and our decisions might suggest just the opposite. As believers, we will say we need God in our lives. Right? We will say that. We need God in our lives. 
But we can also live our lives in such a way as to suggest he really doesn't matter. It's all about me. I can run my own life in my own wisdom, by my own strength, with my own abilities and talents, on my own terms, in my own way. Without you, That's the sin of pride. God hates it. And the biblical answer for pride is humility. Humility modeled for us by Jesus Christ Himself. Humility comes from recognizing God for who He truly is and centering our lives around Him. It comes from seeing ourselves as God sees us. And it comes from thinking less about ourselves and more about others. So as Daniel might say to us this morning, humble yourselves or you might be humiliated. And if one day you are mooing in the morning, and you have a craving to graze, I would just suggest go over towards the retention pond. I hear the hay is best over there. You have been warned. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. I thank You that it appears that Nebuchadnezzar had a change of heart. And maybe one day we will meet him there. He surely talked about you in a favorable way. But Father, i got to think about me also. How many times do I act as if I don't really need you? Father, forgive me of my pride. Forgive me for thinking I can do it without you. Forgive me for not depending upon you as I should. You are the God Most High, the Lord God Almighty. Help us to trust you and to obey you and to love you. 
May you be honored and glorified in us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this morning as to why God hates that kind of pride so much. And it's not the kind of pride like you have pride for a child or or you know pride in your job. That's not the kind of pride he's talking about. Again, it's the kind of pride where it says, God, I just don't really need you. That's the kind of pride he hates. The Bible tells us that God desires intimacy with us. He desires a relationship with us. Right? The Bible's clear about that. He desires an intimate relationship with each and every one of us and to hear. God, I don't need you. That's that's just got to be unbearable. To say to our Maker, our Creator, the One who sent His only Son to a cross on our behalf, God, I don't need you. I can understand why God would hate that. We do need him. He wants us to need him. He wants us to depend upon him. That's what he desires. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know the God you need. I would love to tell you about him. He wants you to lean on Him. To depend upon, to trust Him. I would love to tell you about Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe there's just something else. You just need prayer. However the Lord leads you this morning, I just pray you to respond to Him. Be obedient to Him. You need them. Larry?